funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. Guys, welcome to the Silver Screen video. Uh, pardon my laughter. My co-host was just uh, ranting about something and talking about how angry he was. Anyway, um, Jonathan I'm really here. angry for no reason. <laughs> Jonathan here, my co-host Jacob. I'm not even going to ask you how you're doing this week. We're just going to bypass that. Um, <laughs> look, so, so today, guys, Today we're talking about, uh, we're not going to do a double feature again. We're going to talk about the sweet smell of success. But before we get to that, we have a couple of things. And I don't know what yours are, and you don't know what mine are, because I prefer to keep things a surprise. I have a miniature rant that I saved, because uh, I didn't want it to bleed over into our David Thompson uh, uh, you know, base of, of what we were doing afterwards. Um, so if you're here and continuing to listen to us from the David Thompson episode, thank you. And for our regular listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, aside from that, I, I've got a, I've got a, just a couple of things that, that I've watched. And yes, they are scary movie related, but it doesn't have to be Halloween. It's just scary movie stuff. Um, yeah, let's hear the rant, dude. I'm excited. Okay. Okay. So so I watched uh, Halloween Ends. Okay. I watched it a few weeks ago. And unfortunately, mm. I watched it after we had already recorded our final Halloween episode. So, like I said, I didn't want it to affect the David Thompson thing and all that. So, anyway, look, minor spoilers here. I don't think you care. You haven't even watched the middle chapter, and I'm almost positive you never will. So, are you okay with minor spoilers? <laughs> Spoil away, my good friend. Okay, so we all remember in the first one. Uh, by the way, a lot of people were pissed about this, and I read a lot of critiques on this movie, and a lot of people were pissed for the wrong reasons. Not that I want to tell you how to get mad. But a lot of people was pissed uh, about they were pissed about the the uh, the aspect of Halloween and like this isn't my Michael Myers. And it's like to that, I say, I don't fucking buy that shit. The only good Halloween, the only like like absolute masterpiece of a film in the Halloween franchise is 1978. The original. That's it. The rest of them are sometimes entertaining, sometimes awful. But none of them have even came close to reaching that level. And I think that's something any horror movie or Carpenter fan can agree with. I know there's a small pocket out there that really support the Rob Zombie remakes. I am not in that pocket. I think they're awful. I think they were just awful movies and he didn't even want to make them. Harvey Weinstein just kind of made him do it. Uh, I won't touch that anyway. Um, <laughs> so, so, uh, so, so the that's first, what she said in relation to Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> so, so the first one, we see Laurie Strode, like 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 the first one of this new trilogy, okay? Uh, we see Laurie Strode, like, she's been waiting for 40 fucking years to just fuck Michael Myers up. I'm, I'm training like John Wick. I'm, I've got booby traps. I'm ready to just decimate you. This is my life. So he shows up, and it's an all right movie. You know, it was fine. And then the second one, Halloween Kills, I loved because I got what I wanted which was literally 90 minutes of Michael Myers brutally murdering everyone in sight. Like he goes on a killing spree to end all killing sprees. They introduce this supernatural aspect that Michael Myers is actually an unkillable being. Like it's really cool. I really enjoyed it. Lori is, is, is hurt in the hospital, but at the end of the second one, by the way, spoilers, like I said, for the second and third one, he kills her daughter. You remember Judy Greer's character in the first one? Oh boy, do I. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he, he, he <laughs> can he never ki- forget. He classic kills her. Judy Greer. So he fucking murders Judy Greer and then he disappears. So at the, at the beginning of the third one, there is a four year time jump. So you've got Lori and Judy Greer's daughter, her granddaughter living together. Okay. Four years. Michael Myers disappeared. Lori is trying to be as normal as possible. So after waiting for 40 years to kill Michael Myers, she's now like, oh, look at me. I'm normal. I'm living a life. I'm taking care of my granddaughter. I'm writing a book. Like, look at me. I'm so stable. Michael Myers is still out there. Nobody's seen him in four years. But in this version of Halloween, we get like a geriatric Michael Myers. 
and they introduce a new character we've never seen as basically the main villain for three quarters of the movie. I won't go into details because I don't want to rehash the whole movie. So then, wait, 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 wait. Can you expand on geriatric Michael Myers? What the fuck does that mean? Dude, he's an old dude living in the fucking sewer, like Pennywise. Like, so, so the end of the of the second one shows he's supernatural. Shows that he can't be killed. He is a beast. He's fucking murdering everything in sight. This one, he's living in a sewer and he's too old to really function. I'm not joking or making this up. Dude, that's ins- well, that's an insane idea for a Michael Myers movie. Yeah, dude. So, so you introduce this other character who Michael like drags into the sewer and like sees a little bit of himself in him because there was like a babysitting accident where a kid died and he got blamed for it. Look, none of that matters. So this character named Corey, he's now your antagonist. He's murdering people. Corey? That's his name? That's his name. They couldn't come up with a more terrifying <laughs> name than Corey? No, it gets better, dude. So he fucking murders this homeless guy, and then he falls in love with no explanation. He falls in love with Lori's granddaughter, then tells Lori's granddaughter that he's murdered a man, and she's like, cool. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Then, cool, me too. Then she, then they're like, "Hey, let's burn this town down." And I'm like, "Fuck yes!" Like, I'm cool with this if we get like a Bonnie and Clyde because I thought Lori's granddaughter was going to be bad at the end of the second one because there was this really ominous shot of her holding the bloody knife. Right. So anyway, none of that pays off. Corey ends up getting killed after he steals Michael's mask. You know the mask that Michael's never taken off. He beats sure. up Michael Myers and steals his mask. <laughs> <laughs> and then he tries to kill Lori, kills himself instead for reasons that they don't really matter because fuck it. Then Michael shows up, puts the mask on him and Lori have a showdown. Lori, who is a grandmother and Michael, who should be in a home, not a crazy home, but an old person's <laughs> home. And they have this fight and then it literally ends with the entire town passing Michael's dead body up to this car park crusher and crushing his body. And then Lori like ends with her book. She's like, he will have no gravestone. He will have no memorial. He is fucking dead. End of movie. Wait, they crush his body in like a, in like a, like a junkyard type thing. Yeah. It was literally a junkyard. They carried his body to a junkyard. Oh, that's incredible. And here's the best part. By the way, for anybody who wants a much funnier uh, rundown of this movie synopsis, uh, check out that YouTube channel, uh, Pitch Meetings or whatever. He's actually really funny. He gives you a really funny five-minute pitch meeting of how it worked when like David Gordon Green was pitching this idea to the studio. It's actually really hilarious. Because um, he, he basically said, it was, it was really funny because he was like, so who's bullying the Corey guy? And he's like, oh, uh, he's like, are there going to be really badass bullies, like big guys, football jocks? And he's like, no, uh, band geeks. Band geeks are <laughs> bullying Corey. <laughs> so, oh, man. That's it. There is no payoff. There is no real showdown. Corey literally doesn't matter. They ignored almost every aspect of the other two movies. I'm telling you, you cannot make this shit up. I mean, you know, I, I well, I'll tell you this. What I don't understand is that, like, in well, I guess in the movie, like, do the characters know this is the last movie? You know, you know what I mean. Like, did they like? Is it like clear this is the final one while you're watching the movie, or do you think it's something that they just come up with afterwards? You know. Oh yeah, the I mean, the writers knew it was the last one, but the they didn't telegraph anything with the with the, with the with the characters. Like it's not like Laurie Schrode knew this was going to be a final showdown. But what's gotcha. really, I hate New York, and honestly, I hate you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I tried to mute it in time, but I couldn't. Oh shit. So anyway, uh, while Jacob's muting and unmuting, while there is a, a crash derby outside of his fucking house. Um, yeah, like, like that's the problem with the movie, dude, is, I mean, one of the many problems is Lori, who was obsessed with, with killing Michael for 40 fucking years. She just forgets that he's out there like four years he's been gone and she's like, well, I'm going to be normal now. 
it's just really fucking annoying. Like it just, it did, it made no sense. So I didn't, I hated the concept of the movie, not because it's like, oh, this isn't my Michael Myers, but because they literally failed within the confines of the world they created, which is really infuriating. Right. Right. Because I know they're better writers than that. Well, especially for this to be the final one. I mean, I'm going to be honest. When this movie was announced, released, whatever, like I didn't even give it a second thought until I heard all the publicity that this is the last one. And I was like, you know what? I thought for a second, maybe I'll catch up if this is the last one. Maybe I'll at least watch, you know, the middle one of um, of this new trilogy, you know, and then, of course, it went out of my head and I never thought about it again. Um, but like you would think they would, I don't know, like just done some even some just fucking fan service or something. You know what I mean? Just something to be like, we're going big the last time, you know, but it sounds like, I don't know. It just sounds like a regular ass sequel, you know? Yeah, dude. Like they, I guess they tried to get like contemplative with the movie by introducing this Corey character, but you can't do that after the middle chapter you had. We can't just forget that Michael, you basically said without saying it, He's supernatural. We saw him get stabbed in the neck. We saw him get beat down with with pipes by townspeople. And he got up and butchered everybody. Right. So, and then he just disappears. Like, there was nothing. Like, it, it's, it was infuriating, honestly. Because I expected more from these guys. I know Danny McBride is a very hands-on executive producer. I'm sure he was in that writer's room. So, I really am disappointed because of how badly they failed their own ideas. Also, hmm. from week one opening to week two, there was like an 83% drop off at the box office. So clearly people weren't happy with it. Yeah, I mean, clearly, yeah, clearly there was there was bad word of mouth. Um, let me ask you this. Is there a Friday the 13th movie where Jason goes to space? Yeah, Jason X. And it's fun, too. Oh, okay. Because I was I was talking with uh, with somebody else about this, and I was like, I was like, dude, I think there's a movie where Jason goes to space. He was like, Nah, Jason doesn't go to space. And uh, turns out I was right. Jason goes yeah. to space. Yeah, it's fun. He's got like this like metal mask on, Casey Jones looking shit. Uh, and uh, yeah, he's like murdering people in a simulation. But then he realizes he's in a simulation. Then he gets out and starts murdering people on the plane on the on the ship. What if we sent Michael Myers to space? What do you think would happen? I don't know, but I'll tell you, Michael Myers, Chucky, and Jason are now all on Peacock. So a lot of people are thinking we could get a crossover. I'd take that for sure. Because I'm a big fan of Freddy versus Jason from back in the day. I know a lot of people hated it. I thought it was a lot of fun. All right, so Michael Myers goes at Jason one-on-one. I mean, that's 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 Michael Myers all day, right? I mean, maybe, but Chucky's your dark horse because, like, he's Chucky. Well, yeah, he's but no- what can Chucky do, really? I, I haven't really been, I, I haven't really seen any of the Chucky movies. Like, what can he do? He's, he's just a doll, right? Yeah, he's a fucking, he's a serial killer soul trapped in a doll's body. Like, I don't but know. But what, he can, what like, can he, like, do functionally? I mean, you're telling me he's going to, what's he going to do to Michael Myers? I guess slit his Achilles, maybe. Dude, they're ju- they're not gonna know. Like he he has the element of surprise. I don't know. I don't understand the inner workings of 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 Chucky. I just know he's a doll who kills people. I think he could be fun to watch him fight those guys. I don't know. All right, I just, all right, all right. I just I think they should work together. I think you should do teamwork and they should work together. Well, what I really want, and I think there's a large horror fans out there. Let us know if you agree. I think what all of us want is an Ash versus. Freddie and Jason or, or, or Jason and Michael, but we'll never get that because Bruce Campbell's too old now. But actually that would be cool. You could recast it though. You could recast Fuck you no. Know. If they ever recast Ash, no. That that's, that's Well, first that's of all, they definitely are going to. That that will happen at some point. Hey, it hasn't happened yet. So what do you think? Timothy Chalamet is the new Ash? Oh Jesus. <laughs> I just ruined your day, didn't I? And I did tell that Willy Wonka motherfucker making his stupid ass looking cannibal movie. No offense. I haven't seen it. I want to see it. So I shouldn't have said that. But. Jaden Smith, the new Ash. You know what? We're just going to move on. Um, 
so my my second thing real quick, that was my Halloween rant. I was just really annoyed and I wanted to let the world know. And I figured, hey, we have a podcast and I can let the world know. Anyway, right. what do you got? You said you had a couple of things. Yeah, so um, I've got a couple of things. I don't know how much uh, how much discussion there is really to be had about this, but uh, probably I'll mention not them anyways. Much. Huh? I said probably not much. Probably not much. <laughs> but hey, we got to fill some time here. So. <laughs> so yeah, I got my 4K set up. You know that I've been I've been watching some stuff, and I finally got around to watching the Citizen Kane 4K. I watched all the special features and you know, poured through the booklet and everything, but I was saving the, you know, just watching the movie itself uh, for, I don't know what I was saving it for a future date, I guess. And I finally got around to watching it. Um, <laughs> good movie. Uh, check it out guys. If you haven't seen it, <laughs> Citizen Kane, <laughs> I do bet it looked crisp though. I bet it looked really good. Well, it's interesting. I mean, this is a movie I've seen so many times and, you know, one of the big complaints about the Warner brothers, uh, blu-ray was that it was in too uh that it was too like high contrast black and white that there was too um it wasn't shadowy enough you know and this um you know version of it this restoration of it i think definitely corrects that it, it makes it a lot more it, it, the lighting is a lot more noirish than i've ever personally noticed while watching the movie and that gave it a whole different a whole different feel. Like, I mean, there are scenes where, and you can, you can really appreciate kind of how radical the cinematography is because there are scenes where like the person talking is just in complete and total darkness. And I don't mean like Hollywood, you know, kind of shadowy, but you can still see him. I mean like complete darkness. It's really, uh, I don't know. It's really just kind of shockingly experimental, even for, today's standards you know like this you can watch um you know dozens of movies from say you know the early 30s through the late 50s early 60s of the hollywood studio era and then of course they stopped making black and white movies by and large you know going into the 70s and stuff and you just so you just never see movies that look like this you know what i mean like you just Nothing in the old Hollywood era looked like it and nothing after that looked like it because they stopped making stuff in black and white. And it's just, um, I don't know, man, it's just shocking how expressive some of the shadows and some of the, um, some of the visual parts of that movie. And he does, he also does this interesting thing where he, he does these cross, not cross cuts, what it's like fade in and fade out where you'll have like Joseph Cotton talking and um, he'll be fading out while the next scene is fading in. And so you have this weird half image of Joseph Cotton, like uh, overlaid against uh, Charles Foster Kane's like breakfast table where he's having breakfast with his wife. It's really, I don't know. It's, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily breaking any new ground here, but it's um, yeah, man, it's just, so, it's just so visually inventive. You know, it's kind of the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, in a way, but, but yeah, it was great. Hey man, there are some movies that I've seen 50 times. And like, if you really, if you really like love them and can engage with them and with them on a, on a different higher level. And I think any, any cinephile out there, a movie lover will know what I'm talking about. You can still like mine for new things every time you watch it. So like, I think when you watch Citizen Kane, like, and just even if you just appreciate certain aspects even more, like who cares if it's not new information, but it's still something there to offer you. Uh, and I think that's right. awesome. Yeah, it's it was. It, oh, and there's there's one other little minor detail that I thought was fun, which was um, in the opening after the after the news of the world or news on the march, whatever it's called. Um, they're in the projectionist room and they're, you know, oh, this isn't good enough. We need to make it better. And that's when they send you know, Thompson out to do the Rosebud story. Joseph Cotton is in that projecting room or that, that projection room reviewing the, like he's one of the editors reviewing the thing and you would never, never able to see him before. But now in this 4k edition, you can actually see him. You can actually see Joseph Cotton. He doesn't play, you know, his character, like Jed Leland, in the rest of the movie, he and the reason why is because they shot that before they had cast him in the part of Jed Leland. 
So like he's just chilling out in there. It's it's almost like a little Easter egg, and you can finally see him for the first time because I've heard that story, but I've never actually seen him in the scene. But you can you can actually see him now. It's it's uh, if you're eagle eyed, you may be thinking, what "The hell is Jed Leland doing in the doing in the projection room?" But um, well, I can't I can't speak for everyone else, but I'll say anytime I watch something that's too dark to see what's on screen, whether it's on purpose or not. I will always associate it with uh, Miguel Sapochnik, uh, if I'm pronouncing his name right, who is notori- who's the guy who's notoriously known for directing the dark episodes of House of the Dragon and Game of Thrones. Right. And that's hilarious to me. Like, that's where my mind, for the rest of time, that is how I will connect, like, things that are too dark to see in movies. Yeah, I mean, Orson Welles, Miguel Sapochnik, basically, I think they're on the same no, level. No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not saying that <laughs> Orson not. Welles was doing that. I'm just saying, like, when it, whenever it's too dark. Because, like, sometimes old movies, old cameras, they did struggle with lighting and stuff. So, like, and all, like you said, that was on purpose. Because if you haven't cast something yet, you don't want to show a face, clearly. Right, um, right. So, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I always think about that when I think about music. You know, I'm thinking about, like... Did they listen to this song through like on a cell phone? Because like it doesn't sound good on a cell phone. You know what I mean? Like like I think about that when I think about like the the remember the the Game of Thrones thing that you just mentioned. Like it's like was he watching it on a home TV? Because I think I get an idea maybe he was watching it in like some like pitch black, like incredible 8k streaming and it's like bro all of us don't have setups like that you're gonna have to make this shit for like regular ass tvs you know so you're saying that things like heard through a cell phone like they don't sound as nearly as good as hearing them through headphones or a stereo or something right 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 right. like 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 maybe like maybe people should like listen to like master music and then listen to it through a cell phone to be like let's make sure it still sounds good even if somebody's listening to it on a cell phone because they're probably using like all this high quality equipment to master it. And it like, you know what I mean? Like if you're listening to it on your laptop or on your phone or whatever, it's got to sound, it, it just got to sound different. Cause it's not as high quality, you know what I mean? Right. Well, I just wanted to get you on record saying that. Cause it reminds me when we did our scores video or our episode and you wanted to play segments oh my of the God. scores Fuck on you. your cell phone through the microphone. And I was like, I don't think that's a good idea. And you know what, you man? You know me. what? I thought this was an honest engagement <laughs> with the stuff I was saying. Instead, you're just you gotcha journalism. That's what this oh, is. You should go hey, work man. for CNN, pal. Ulterior motive. I'd take that job. <laughs> yeah, I would too. Hey, if, uh, if, news, Jake, hire us. If, if Jake Tapper can do it or whatever his name is, I can do it. So, <laughs> and I'm not picking on him. I literally cannot remember anyone else's name. Maybe Anderson Cooper? No, no, no. You know uh, Cuomo. I don't know if it's Chris or if it's – I don't know which oh, one's the governor. yeah. Well, yeah, one of them, what, one of them was a piece of shit who sexually harassed people and the other one covered it up? Is that how it worked? <laughs> I don't know. They're both disgraced. Both Cuomo brothers have been taken down. That's all I know. Fucking Italians. No offense to the Italians. <laughs> That's what we get for putting Italians on TV. Uh, anyway, before we both get canceled, I'm going to say, do you have anything else before we jump into Sweet Smell of Success? Oh, yeah. Just one last thing. Um, I also watched uh, this time I bought recently. Um, I watched uh, Singing in the Rain in 4K, which um, longtime listeners will know that is uh, one of my favorite movies. And I, you know, I don't know if Singing in the Rain was actually filmed in Technicolor, but it's it's like a Technicolor-like process, you know, that kind of mid-century um, you know, kind of, it's hard to describe. It's Technicolor, I feel like, has a reputation for being very um, kind of eye popping, you know, and, and like all these different variety of colors. Whereas uh, it actually, in, in like realistically, it, it looks mostly washed out, I think. Um, and it, it just kind of struck me how kind of visually, um, bland especially after watching citizen kane it struck me how visually bland singing in the rain is because it's one of those movies where i was like you know what i don't think i needed this in 4k because the visually it's not that impressive there there are obviously certain like sequences that are really cool but it 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 really doesn't have a lot to do with this like fine tuning of color and shadow and image you know what i mean like it's it's a movie that i think is going to hold up just as well on Blu-ray as I would on like 4k. Um, 
I mean, I loved it. I enjoyed the movie, but I was, it was just one of those things where I was just like, you know, this is just like typical mid-century washed out Technicolor. There's no real, there's no real expressiveness in this. You know, I, I remember Roger Ebert said about guys and dolls that it looks like it was lit on an, on a, in a uh, airplane hangar. And I think that's, that's like Singing in the Rain kind of has those vibes a little bit. It's not nearly as bad as Guys and Dolls or some of the other musicals from that period, but it's like, I don't know. They weren't really paying attention to lighting all that well. And it's just, um, yeah, I don't know. Still one of my favorite movies. Yeah, I don't know. The Moses Supposes scene where, um, where Gene Kelly and Donald O'Connor are just basically uh, harassing and assaulting uh, the poor uh, vocal teacher um, is always a great scene. Yeah, I mean, I, I loved it. I love the movie. I don't know what to say other than that. It doesn't surprise me that you were pro a scene where someone's getting harassed or abused. Um, <laughs> Especially a teacher. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah. So basically what you're saying is, guys, don't bother with singing in the rain. Like old news. So yeah, um, it's old news. It's... um. Yeah, you don't you don't need to see it. You know, it has it's not uh actually no, I can't even joke about that. It's it's so it's so incredible. I mean, just the just really just close to the 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 beautiful heart of cinema itself. I love that movie so okay, much. Okay, well, keep in your pants. Let's miss the movie. No, it's out now. It's you're going to have to deal with it now it's out. <laughs> so, uh guys, we're talking about the sweet smell of success this week. And um Okay, this is a 1957. They call it a film noir. Do you consider this a noir? I don't know. Uh, yeah, um, I think it's definitely a noir. Yeah, I guess. I mean, to be fair, I don't know what a noir is. So. You, you're pre- <laughs> you know, I'm, I've learned this about you. You're pretty Catholic with your definition of noir. Um. Yeah, I do. I don't know. I, I, I'm sorry. Well, please don't reference me and Catholic in the same sentence. And sorry, also, did that throw you off? Um, I, I, I'm sorry. I like to have strict boundaries. I don't like this hilly nilly, <laughs> willy nilly bullshit. Okay. Um, You're right. I completely agree. Hilly nilly is not for me. <laughs> so anyway, guys, the, the, the fucking movie is basically about, uh, JJ Hunsecker, who is, uh, portrayed Calm by Burnley, <laughs> <laughs> portrayed by a uh, Burt Lancaster. And he's based on Walter Winchell. Which, uh, if you don't know who that is, look it up. It's kind of funny. And uh, he uses... <laughs> he, uses his, uh, he uses his connections to ruin his sister's relationship because he secretly wants to sleep with her. And he thinks she is with a man he deems unworthy of her. And uh, anyway, it also stars Tony Curtis as the weapon that Lancaster is wielding to uh to to get this job done and um i'm gonna be honest with you straight out of the gate i'm not being a contrarian i'm not being an asshole i'm being dead serious i have not revisited this movie in many years uh i would say well over a decade i did not care for this movie that much this time around something about it just kind of got on my nerves i don't know if it's the very simple story. It's a very short movie. Like the story, like I am not like we are, we are not, there's no other threads to follow essentially. Like clearly if you you really dig in, you can, but the base story is a guy is pissed off that a jazz guitarist is dating his sister. So he basically gets somebody to ruin his reputation and make it to where his sister will not want to see him anymore. And when they're in the same room with him, they manipulate him and all that to make him, try to make bad decisions. And uh, that is literally the movie. Uh, the, the only thing that gets really interesting is, uh, is we get introduced to this guy who's kind of a slime ball with Tony Curtis. And he's like, Oh, you don't really like him. You can tell like he's just like always on the, on the, uh, on the take. He's always trying to do this and lie to people. But by the end of the movie, it's like, no, like we are like, you kind of root or you're rooting for him. A little bit. Like it's really for his soul. Is he gonna be as evil as as Hunsecker, uh Lancaster's character? Anyway, um, I didn't care for it. What what's your history with this movie? Tell me if I'm wrong about not caring for it. I mean, I've seen this movie quite a few quite a few times. It's um I don't know if I would say it's one of my favorites simply because it's just so 
jet black, you know, cynical, which is, you know, not necessarily going to lend itself to be like one of my all time favorites, but um, I have seen it a number of times because it is, you know, it's style is very expressionistic. It's very like the, you know, film noir had been going on for about 15 years at this point. I mean, obviously precursors, to noir, you know, even longer, but real, you know, intentional film noir had been going on for about 15 years at this point. And so this is a very distilled version of noir, right? Like it's, we, we talked about out of the past last week and even in, you know, the 10 years between the release of out of the past and um, sweet smell of success, like there had been a lot of evolution of, doubling down making the the cinematography even darker right even more more hopeless and more um you know and the subject matter darker too you know and more cynical and more um just kind of in the gutter almost you know more pulpy i guess would be another way to put it um so this i think is a very and and it wouldn't be too long after this that, that the film noir would go out of style um into the early 60s so I think this is a favorite of mine because it is so just tightly distilled and so dark and expressionistic and it's a great New York movie. This might be the most, um, the most noir New York movie that's ever been. Um, there's a lot of like stylized dialogue and so it's, it's almost to me like it's interesting that you were questioning whether or not this movie is a noir because it seems to me like it like i understand what you're saying because there's no private eye there's no you know there's no um uh what do you call it um you know voiceover yeah uh and things like that but it also to me is like a very distilled very noirish noir if that makes sense um but i i can i can kind of see how that type of uh that type of overload could be kind of alienating that kind of stylization is, is that what turns you off or was it something else? No, it's not. I I can't really pinpoint why this movie doesn't feel like a noir. Like, I guess because like there is like, for me, I, I live and die. I'm not, by the way, I am not, as I said in the last episode, as we continue our noir Vember kind of here at the silver screen video, um, (laughs) noir Vember in a way, (laughs) I'm not like a noir expert. You have seen way more than me. You are a much, you, you have much more knowledge about noirs than I do, but I guess not having that voiceover, not having that femme fatale character, not having this, this detective, Mm. this, this detective I can really latch on to. Like, dude, I just, I don't like Tony Curtis in this movie. He's, he's a weasel. I don't like Weasley characters. Like I, I, I can sometimes get on board with a really smart Weasley character who like has to connive and do all that. But Tony Curtis spends most of this movie just fast talking and lying to people. And then he just turns into a real bitch when Burt Lancaster's like, I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, so that's, just, no, I think that's a, there. I think that's a reasonable, I think that's a reasonable take. I mean, because yeah, most of the time our film noir hero is somebody who is, you know, it's like uh Robert Mitchum in out of the past. It's someone who, you know, they may have some flaws, but they are generally pretty, um, pretty heroic. Right. And you're right. He like Tony Curtis is not heroic in this movie at all. He's a sniveling little yes man, you know? And so that is, that is another wrinkle of it. Just, I guess when I say doubles down on the noir, I guess what I mean is it doubles down on the cynicism, you know, like there are no likable characters. These are all, it takes place in a completely fallen degenerate world of New York publicity that is, that is not romantic at all. And that is just disgusting and, and venal and, you know, and on and on. So, so I do, I do see what you're saying. It's uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think my other problem, cause I do have some good things to say about it clearly, but, but there are more to do with cinematography and all that. But, my uh, my other problem is sometimes I watch a movie like I remember I'm not comparing these movies, even though one is a neo-noir technically, uh, but you'll see what I mean. I remember talking to somebody about Brick 
It's it's the old Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Ryan Johnson movie where it's like a neo-noir. He's trying to find somebody. Either way. And they were like, yeah, I like the movie, but I just didn't buy Joseph Gordon-Levitt as this guy. Like, I just didn't think he was the guy. Hmm. And like, it made me think like, you know, that's a fair point. I bought it because I think the movie worked well within the confines of what Joseph Gordon-Levitt can bring to it. But I, I think there's something that doesn't sit right with me about Lancaster in that role. Like he's not interesting. He's not intimidating to me. Like he, he was fast talking very, like you said, very stylized dialogue. Like there was a lot going on, but he was not intimidating to me. Like, I'm sorry. We just covered out of the past last week. And Kurt Douglas is like, he doesn't have to say anything. He can just walk in a room and you're immediately intimidated. Like this man carries it. I didn't feel that with Lancaster. And I think, and and that's probably boils down to personal preference, but still. No, I think that's a fair point. I mean, that's the comparison between, you know, uh, because I think, you know, ah, Burt Lancaster, great performance. But then, when you compare it to something like what Kirk Douglas is up to and out of the past, it's like, oh, well, there's there's no comparison. But I also think uh, no comparison in Kirk Douglas's favor, I mean, of course. Um, yeah. But there's something else to that, too, that I think is um, that is kind of inherent in, I don't know if it's the performance or uh, the script or where this comes from, but he's so um, overtly mean that it's hard to, I don't want to say it's like a caricature, but it almost kind of is right. Like it's, it's, it's like, okay. You know, like, well, I mean, yeah, does that I make sense? Like he, he's not really yeah. intimidating. Cause he's just like, he, you, you meet him and he's just like, I mean, he's essentially just like, fuck you, fuck you. And fuck you too. And it's like, all right, all right, buddy. You know, like, yeah, yeah, like, like I, I, like I didn't want to cut you off, but I, 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 I agree with you. There's an old saying that the dog that barks loudest in the room is the one you don't have to worry about. And right, right. I feel like with Lancaster, it's like it's like all these. It's like I was joking around the other day, not to get political, but I was joking around with my wife the other day because I'm like, I'm really tired of all these like hardcore dudes on Twitter that have alpha male in their name. Like, if you have to tell me you're an alpha male, odds are you're a bitch. Like, I'm just saying. (laughs) So it's like, so, so Lancaster having to drop that hammer every fucking line. I'll fucking ruin your life, bitch. I know she's not your wife. She's a hooker. or I'll, I'll bury you. You don't want to fuck with me. It's like, dude, it's like you, you, if you're powerful and you, and you have the power that you think or say you have, you shouldn't have to do that. Like that kid going off on you because there's a scene where the kid, the guy goes off on him because like he, he basically tells him like, fuck you, man. Like uh, you're, you're a piece of shit that the guy who's dating his sister. And he's so bothered by that. He's like, no, nah, he, he tells Sydney, Tony Curtis's character. We got to take care of this. Like I, I cannot stand for that. And it's like you, this rich, powerful, badass, you let that guy get under your skin. You let this fucking kid that you're trying to run out of town, get under your skin. Like that just right. reeks of insecurity. And maybe that's the point. I don't know. Yeah, but it's no, I see what you're saying though. It's it's the type of that insecurity is really now followed up on. You know what I mean? Like we never like okay, let's say that is insecurity, right? Well, then it's never touched on the rest of the movie, right? Like it's not like it's not like we really get any uh scenes where he's being particularly insecure, right? I mean, he's he basically stays the same until the end. Which you know, I don't know. It's an interesting, see, I, I gotta be honest. I, I don't even think of the movie in those terms, right? Like I, I don't, I, I like, I see exactly what you're saying now that you say it, but like, for me, this movie is almost like, God, you know what movie, it, you know what movie it reminds me of? It reminds me of Crank in a way, like, which is going to sound like the most insane comparison, but it's like, it's like distilled, like 90 minutes of just, you know, uh, a crank is, you know, 90 minutes of just distilled, you know, monster energy drink or something. Whereas this is just like a distilled shot of the, just the most vile liquor you can possibly imagine, you know, snake juice or something. And 
You know what I'm saying? And so like, because it is so bite-sized and because it is so stylized and just so venomous of a, of a, of a pic of a picture, you know, it, it, like I never really even think about those character motivations or I never even think about, yeah, Tony Curtis is kind of a little wimp, isn't he? And, and Burt Lancaster is kind of just overtly mean. And for what, you know, like I never really let those things, I guess, sink in because it's just such a quick snake bite of a movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I could see that. And like I said, I could be overthinking it. I just had, I, I was thinking about it in these, in this way, because I was just kind of annoyed by the fact that I didn't like it revisiting as much as I thought I would. Right. Um, but I mean, don't get me wrong. I loved the cinematography. Like, like you already pointed out, it's a New York movie. Like it is really like the shadows and the lights and the, and the way they, they, they said the set pieces in the back alleys and the, and, yeah. and I love when, when they're, when they're dragging off Sydney closer to the end and you see the backdrop and the shadows and the city's just lurking. Like, don't get me wrong. There are some beautiful things in this movie. Just when it comes to characters, I just can't really get on board, which is crazy because I love cynical shit and I love dark stuff. And I, and I like, typically I like the themes that they're, that they're messing around with in this movie. But there's just something about it. And it could just be because I didn't like it as much as I thought. So then it was just like, okay, well, where where's my brain gonna go now? No, I, I no, I completely get that. It's and it's interesting to contrast that with the two movies we talked about um last week, because out of the past is um I don't wanna say I don't wanna say it's the, the visuals aren't the thing, but it, but it's very um very, very typical of a 1940s film noir, right? There's nothing particularly um, different about it visually, but the characters are so rich and specifically Mitchum, right? And then you have uh, this movie where it's kind of all visual, all art, art decoration or, you know, or art direction, whatever you, whatever you want to call it. Just the visuals are just so, just knockout incredible, but, but that characterization isn't, isn't quite there, you know? And then night of the hunter is that rare miracle of a, of a movie or a miracle of a noir, especially where it just happens of both of them, right? We get these incredible uh, characterizations and these incredible mythic proportions of this movie. And Oh, by the way, it is some of the most beautiful cinematography ever committed to film, you know, whereas yeah. like, Sweet Smell of Success has one of those things, right? It's the cinematography is very beautiful, the imagery is very beautiful, but if you're looking for something to connect to or relate to, like I'm not going to relate to Tony Curtis's character. He's a little, he's a little bitch, you know. Like, why does he want to be JJ Hunsucker's, uh, you know, little man Friday? You know what I mean? It doesn't seem worth it to me, you know. But like. Me personally, I get I get caught up in the in the imagery and the the quick dialogue, and I'm just like I don't care, you know. But I, I get it, I do, I get it because I don't. I think there might be um, there might be less than meets the eye, character or story wise. And now that we're now that I'm comparing it, I'm thinking about Mitchum in the Lancaster role, and uh, who boy, you know, like <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I think if you, you got you a better cast- movie, I'm sorry, you just do. If you would cast somebody else that could kind of, and I'm not saying Lancaster, clearly Lancaster is a great actor, but if you would cast somebody else that could kind of pull on that thread of insecurity while also having that power and, and, and not needing to say a lot of that shit, but also that maybe wouldn't have worked because the movie leans on the fast, snappy dialogue. So maybe sure. that wouldn't have worked. Maybe you don't need a slow talker like a, like a Douglas or a Mitchum that's like telling them people like, no, I'm just going to intimidate you with, with what I have. Like, so maybe that, maybe that was part, I don't know. Like, no, that, you know, that's a good, it's a good exercise to think about because it's like instantly I want to say, you know, Mitchum in this movie would have destroyed, which he would have because he's Robert Mitchum, but also it's a whole different movie if Mitchum's in it. Right. Like, I mean, this movie, the energy this movie has going for it is like Alec Baldwin and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, you know, or like, the mid 90 minutes of Wolf of Wall Street or the first 90 minutes of Wolf of Wall Street is just pedal to the metal, you know, of just fuck you. No, fuck you. You know, like just it has that energy to it. And, you know, if you have someone like Mitchum in there, then it well, it, it just becomes something completely different. You know, it, it's not sweet smell success anymore. It's another great Robert Mitchum noir, 
you know um yeah i don't know i like this movie i think it's a great movie but i i do see your your points but um for me the charms of this movie are are definitely um definitely different and and they're there for me if that makes sense it's certainly certainly one of the most beautiful noirs or one of the most visually appealing noirs um ever made so and also just to let you guys know the cinematographer was james wong Howe, and he basically he filmed everything on location in new york city and i think i do think that was probably the best thing about the movie to me is uh is basically how good it looked yeah i think criterion did a uh i think they did like a little special and there was a documentary about james wong how um and what a kind of groundbreaking cinematographer he was um i didn't watch it so i don't have anything really to say but (laughs) i know i was out there and i know that he's uh yeah i know that he's uh he's he's one of the most lauded cinematographers of the hollywood of the classical hollywood era so and a little tidbit about Martin Milner, who played the marijuana smoking jazz guitarist. Um, he was in one of my favorite movies and still is from the 60s, the original 13 Ghost. He plays mm. he plays the guy who's trying to manipulate the kid into finding out where the fortune is um, in the house. And he ends up getting killed by the ghost in a bed, if memory serves correctly. A bed crushes him to death. Oh, okay. Not a bad way to go, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So that, that I think that was a mere what three years after this movie. So uh, anyway, what about Curtis? We didn't talk about Curtis. What about what do you think about Curtis in this movie? He's he's kind of he's against type, right? I mean, he's he is. But dude, once again, I I am no authority on this, so I'm just speaking from a hey, I'm a guy that loves movies perspective. Miscast. It just didn't work. Well, I think he's playing against type, and it you know. Jesus lives in your heart or he doesn't, you know what I mean? It either works or it doesn't. He's, he's definitely, you know, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Gyllenhaal in uh nightcrawler. You know, Gyllenhaal is normally such a warm, that. he's normally such like a warm screen presence and just kind of soft spoken or whatever. And then nightcrawler, he's a fucking psycho. And this is kind of Tony Curtis was a matinee idol, but in this movie, he's just a sleazy little, you know, little yes, man. Yeah, uh, I didn't know this until I looked on Wikipedia, uh, but he briefly dated Marilyn Monroe. Tony Curtis? Yeah, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that either. Um, I wonder how brief it was. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a shame we didn't get that in uh, in Blonde. You know, that would have that would have. Hopefully, we uh, maybe in the sequel to Blonde, we'll get to see Tony Curtis uh, sexually assault Marilyn Monroe on screen. Yeah, Blonde uh, 2, Marilyn's Revenge. <laughs> Blonde 2, <laughs> Marilyn gets it again. <laughs> no, no. She's back from the grave and she's killing all the people who wronged her. You know, that sounds like some like uh some like Ruth Bader Ginsburg ass like uh like uh you know girl boss type shit, but I'd be lying if I said I wouldn't watch it. Look, I'm gonna. I have one more thing to say, not about the movie, but just in general. You said Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and it reminded me of something that happened to me the other day. And I just want to tell the world because I want to know if you guys have experienced this before. I'm flipping through Hulu, and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is on there, and I'm like, "Fuck yeah, I'm gonna watch it" because I just always want to watch it. Like, I love that movie, so I go to play it, and it like goes to load, and Hulu's like, "Cannot load connection issue," which there's not a connection issue, so I'd load it again, and it's like, "Cannot load." And finally, Hulu's like, cannot load. Uh, you could try refreshing or just watch something else. <laughs> and it's like, did Hulu just tell me to watch something else? <laughs> watch something else. No, Hulu, I don't think I will. Yeah, Hulu, I won't. So I fucking just turned it off and I was like, fuck it, I'll watch it later. But I just thought it was funny. It's like, sorry, our shit isn't working. Just watch something else that may or may not work. God, this streaming shit, this is why you buy Blu-rays or you buy DVDs, whatever. Yeah, I'm really pissed because I used to have a copy of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, let somebody borrow it, never got it back. So I need to buy it again. Streaming shit is out of control, man. I was looking up how to watch uh, some sports thing. I don't know what it was. And it was like, oh, you got to get uh, you got to get Paramount Plus. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, never mind. <laughs> like, you know, just... <laughs> <laughs> just I'm never fucking, fucking mind. 
It's like Amazon's like, oh, film box, screen box, uh, shutter, uh, star, showtime, HBO, like so much shit. It's like, what the fuck is screen box? Like, <laughs> what's, what's going on? But you know what? I'm gonna we we could literally complain about streaming services for an hour because of how fed up we both are with them. But uh, I will stop us. Um, yeah, yeah. You were, anyway. Someone's gonna have to put the put the brakes on this train because yeah, it's, it's about to go out of the station. Speaking of film box, Sweet Mel of Success is streaming on that. It's also streaming on Criterion, or you can rent it. If you haven't seen it, watch it. If you haven't seen it in a while, watch it. Let us know what you think. I'm, I'm, are we way off point? Am I being too hard on it? Like, let us know because I'm I'm genuinely curious because this is a very highly regarded film. Like, this is not a this is not a slouch of a film. So, yeah, and I uh, I don't want anybody to misinterpret my um, my understanding of John's complaints with uh, with any detriment to the movie. I'm I I love this movie. If you are if you are the li- the type of listener who um, is aligned with my cinematic sensibilities, I think there are a couple out there. Then uh, watch or rewatch this movie. Um, it's streaming on Filmbox, which I I was delighted <laughs> to know because I've I've got I had my Filmbox subscription and I was like, should I cancel it or no? And then I saw Sweet Smell Success and I was like, nope, Filmbox for another year. Hey, it's five dollars a month and you get a free seven days through Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Filmbox. So uh, uh. anyway. Guys, when this episode drops, I will be sitting in Dublin, Ireland. So think about that. Yeah, our boy's going to Europe again. Going on, well, you're going to another European island again. Yeah, I know. It's awesome. I uh, just love islands, I suppose. Anyway, uh, thank you for your contribution this episode. It was it was really great. Um, anyway. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> guys, thanks for stopping by. Hope you enjoyed us talking about the sweet smell of success. And like I said, I'm serious. Let us know if you, uh, if you agree or disagree with my assessment. And uh, you guys know what to do. Rate and review. Uh, wherever you listen, it's a big help. And to hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, any of that good shit. So either way, keep enjoying Noir Vimber, and we will see you next week at the Silver Screen Video. <laughs>